Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Kemba Walker is going to have the greatest season of his NBA career. I'm just telling you right now, it's going to happen. I'm ready for it. The way this, yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a bold statement, but you know, I think all the talk of, you know, where does Kemba Walker rank among NBA point guards? He was great with JJ Redick talking about like the this the hair splitting that we do when we rank point guards. You know, if you want to talk about Steph, Westbrook, Chris Paul, and then after that, I think you got a group of about you know, four through maybe 10 or 12 that are all pretty much different variations of really, really good. Get ready for the final shot in the third quarter. It's Kemba fires it and makes it! <laughs> You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. Welcome in episode 73 of BuzzBeat Radio. Um, we've definitely got a loaded show coming up today. Uh, don't forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. And as always, happy to call Queen City Hoops, our home, queencityhoops.com and at QCH blog on Twitter. Uh, quick announcement, really quick. Um, Queen City Hoops last week uh, made an announcement on Twitter. Noah Purser uh, going to become the, the managing editor over at the site, really uh, what this means, I'm gonna take a step back um, from the writing uh, portion of, uh, of Queen City Hoops and what I've been doing for eight years. It's a little bit bittersweet, but I'm also very excited about Noah. He's out there recruiting a team to come over to QCH right now. And you know, I have not been able to um, put as much content, written content out there as I would like the last few years. You know, getting married and uh, you know, life hits you a little bit faster than you anticipate <laughs> sometimes. So priorities take over. But it's in the right hands. I'm really excited for the future of the site. So uh, go, Noah, and make sure you're checking out Queen City Hoops uh, for all your Hornets content. All right, Sports Channel 8 as well. Don't forget about our good friends over at Sports Channel 8 on Twitter. Football season is officially here. Uh, I think they've got the best ACC football coverage in the land. Certainly my favorite column. I don't know if you call it a column. It's more like a... 11 or 14 sentences probably my favorite part of college football every year we'll call it a column the weather moose would appreciate that i'm pretty sure yeah yeah well i I look forward to it every week so don't forget about our good friends over at uh, sports channel 8 all right we're very excited about this specific show uh because we have an awesome awesome guest joining us uh ex guest too and obviously friend of the show for the second time here, but now with a little bit different of a role, maybe than he had the first time uh, he was on. Chris Kroger, new play-by-play radio broadcast voice for your Charlotte Hornets, uh, and we're going to get to Chris here in just a second. First, let's check in on the boys. Richie, what is happening down there, in Charlotte? Uh, not a whole lot. I had my first two weeks of school. Uh, pretty exhausting. Feels like I can never catch up, even though we're only two weeks into the school year. But the funny thing is, all these people are telling me, it's like, you're exhausted now, but when the baby comes, you're going to even be more exhausted. <laughs> so I guess I'm kind of prepared for that in a way. I'm getting some sleepless nights, uh, staying up, preparing for school for the following day. It's like it's like I'm living day to day with this school thing. It's like you can never catch up. Even if I wasn't in the school profession, uh, teaching profession, uh, I would say this, but I, I do think teachers definitely need raises and because they just put in a lot of hours. So yeah, the baby, the baby thing is going to change my life coming soon. Yeah, we. Um, I got my thank you card from you. Oh, yeah. uh, fr- from the gift I sent you. Uh, I guess I got it yesterday. I looked at. it. I was like, oh yeah, I I sent Richie a, a baby gift. Wow, that that sounds weird. But no, exciting stuff <laughs> coming really soon for you and Paige. And so super excited about that. BG, what's happening uh, down there in the triangle, man? Well, first off, thank you for undercutting me for for reminding me that I did not get Richie a present <laughs> for having uh, my really that, that was the idea there. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, things are good in Raleigh. Busy with football season. Uh, just got another sports channel at the radio show done uh, in the can earlier this morning. So uh, looking forward to having in 
Speaking of, our guest today, Chris Kruger, came on the show uh, a few weeks ago, too. So we, fortunately, appreciates him for doing that as well. Awesome. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump in here. Hey, Chris, look, thanks again for coming on. Uh, yeah, guys. excited to have you. I, I got one question, though, for you. Okay. There's a lot going on in Charlotte this weekend, nothing involving the Hornets. We're going to talk a lot of them. What's more exciting in the Queen City this weekend? Is it App State Charlotte today or is it Panthers Cowboys? I think that's a debate, right? Uh, for me, it is. Yeah, I don't know about for the rest of the city, but for me, it is. This is um, this is cool, you know, for somebody that grew up in Charlotte to have my my college football squad come come into my city. I think it's really cool. We got a lot of kids from Charlotte on our football team, and uh, you know, it's funny. I I don't obviously view Charlotte as a rival because they've got to win something of meaning first, but uh, it's cool. I think this is like a natural geographic rivalry that, that should have happened a long time ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm rooting for Charlotte because I think it's good for the, the state and college football in general to have a school like that actually be, you know, competitive at football. It hasn't happened yet. So, you know, prayers for the 49ers tonight. I think it might get ugly. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think I tend to agree with you. I was actually a little bit surprised when I saw the line earlier this week. It was like open at 13 and a half. I was like, Whoa, yeah, that's got to be wrong. You know what? Yeah, but you know what that is? That's either one of two things, and I haven't picked out which it is yet. It's either Vegas thinking there's going to be a letdown off because it's literally the the second biggest stadium in college football to the smallest stadium yeah. in college football, yeah. and they think there's a letdown that could happen. Or, you know, Vegas early in the year, they don't catch up to how bad or good some teams are. Mm-hmm. And you talk yeah. about Charlotte, which is like a bottom five FBS program. They might just not realize, like, how bad the 49ers really are. <laughs> so that might be it, too. Who knows? We'll find out. I, I said that today, like there's, this has got to be the biggest difference in terms of like an opposing crowd you play in front of from one week to the, it might be a difference of yeah. like a hundred thousand people or certainly close <laughs> to it. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. yeah. Cause they list, I think Beaver, Beaver stadium list at like one Oh seven maybe. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Jerry Richardson stadium, which let's not even talk about that being the name of yeah. the stadium. Yeah. Uh, they're at like 17 now and <laughs> it'll be 50% at fans. Like yeah. it'll be 50. Oh, no so, doubt. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. crazy. Well, it's good for the city. I think that could morph into a rivalry pretty quickly. I think it's cool that Charlotte has a game like that in what year is this for that football program? Year year six. This is six, which which is crazy, by the way, because my favorite stat going into this game, App won nine, had nine wins last year, which is almost kind of a down year for us. And Charlotte in five years of football has nine wins combined. (laughs) So, yeah, that lets you know how this one's going to go. Yeah, that's nuts. It's not good. Hey, yeah. one thing before we jump in, if, you, if you're a big five school in college football, I think there's no reason to schedule App State week one. Why? I mean, well, there's just be, to, yeah, there's no benefit. Yeah. There's no benefit. You know, they should have beat Penn State last week. Uh, they almost beat Tennessee a couple years ago. And then we also know about Wake last year, too. Yeah. So should you always know about these big, big games. Yeah. And I don't it just doesn't benefit these these big five schools. Although, you know, now they're FBS. I guess you're not. I guess these big power five schools aren't cutting them this huge check. You know, it's not like scheduling an FCS school, but, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Richie. Like what's, what's the win. <laughs> All right. Well, look, Chris, we thought to start, um, I know you've done like a hundred million interviews at this point of like, Hey, tell us about your new job. You know, <laughs> so I don't, we don't want to bore you with that, but it is our opportunity to ask you our questions. Yeah. So we were going to start with that. Uh, just talking about your new awesome role as play by play radio voice for the Hornets. So, I'll kick it off here. Um, seriously, speaking for us here at BuzzBeat, when it was uh, announced that Steve Martin was retiring, I remember Brian being the first one to be like, you know what would be really cool? If they stepped outside the box and hired Chris Kroger to do this job. And I had not really even thought about it yet. Immediately, Richie and I were like, you know what, that's a really good idea. So I wanted to preface my question that way, but when Steve announced his retirement, or maybe if you even knew long before the public did about that coming uh, to light with Steve, did you think this is my job to have? I mean, did you ever like in your mind, was it realistic that you would have this role? Uh, Ooh, that's a good question. You know, truthfully, no. And what's funny is like, I'll take you guys behind the scenes. So before the team announced and Steve announced that it was going to be his final season, he did 50 years in broadcasting, 30 years in the NBA and people forget too. He went to New Orleans. So the two years that we didn't have NBA basketball in Charlotte, he went with the team to New Orleans and then came back. So he called all 30 years technically of Hornets basketball uh, and the Bobcat years too in there. But 
um, yeah, he, he, he kind of came into the studio one night. I think this might've been January or February and said, you know, pretty casually, this is it. And we thought he was joking and he wasn't joking. And so, you know, a couple nights later we, we were back in the studio and we were like, Steve was kidding, right? I was like, no, he's not kidding. He's really going to retire. And so he went out on his terms, which I just, you know, I can't say how awesome that is. And I remember back then, just like you guys, there would be guys who would say stuff to me, like, you know, guys on our radio network or guys just, you know, around the team would say, Hey, you're going to take Steve's job. And I thought you're out of your mind. Like there's no, I'm not qualified for this. This is like such a big jump, even though I was doing an afternoon show in a top 25 market, it just felt like such a big leap. And as much as I wanted it to happen, I just never really thought it could. Even when I was going through the interview process, I wouldn't allow myself to think I could get this job. Like I thought it was possible, never thought it was a slam dunk. And, you know, some of the names that I had heard that had interviewed for the job or we're trying to have their agents look into getting the job for them. I was thinking, I can't stand up to them. Like, are you kidding me? So, and I think there's a variety of reasons why it worked out and I make no bones about it. It's not because of my play by play chops right out of the gate. Like that's going to have to be something that I'm going to get better at. It's going to take repetition. I know that I'm well aware of that that's going to be the thing I have to work at the most, but yeah, there are other things I think in my favor that the team really valued. And I'm just, you know, I can't tell you how thankful I am for that. Well, very good. This is Richie, uh, Chris. But uh, when you first got into broadcasting, kind of like taking yourself back a little bit further, uh, what was your ultimate goal? Was it sports radio? Was it play-by-play? Was it even basketball? Were you were you considering other sports as well? So I guess really, what was your ultimate goal when you first got into broadcasting? You know, what's funny is I never really had a, a, a job where I said, oh, this is my dream job. I got to mm-hmm. go do this. And so you know, play by play, truthfully, early on, I did a lot of play by play in college on our student radio station at app. And it was bad, like really, <laughs> really bad. But we called all the basketball games. Uh, we called all the football games. And, you know, there were probably 32 people listening. Um, most of those were family members or friends, but it was good. It was good reps, um, you know, and we treated it. And I tried to treat it like it was a you know, a real gig, you know, I wanted to, I I made mistakes, but I wanted to get better at it. And so, you know, when I got out of college, I, I never thought like, Oh, I got to go be a play by play guy. I just knew I wanted to do radio because I just love radio. Um, and that's not to say I would never rule out maybe doing something on TV down the road, but there's something special about radio and especially sports broadcasting on the radio. And so, you know, I, I lucked into a producer role, that turned into some more on-air work. That turned into even more on-air work at IMG College, producing live play-by-play broadcasts for a lot of the big programs out there in college sports. And I got some fill-in reps doing play-by-play there. And then, you know, it turned into doing the afternoon show in Charlotte on FNZ, which that same situation, like, I never thought I could do that, do an afternoon show. Real, I grew up listening to Mark Packer on primetime mm-hmm. on FNZ. And the fact that I got to bring that show back and do that for four years, like, that – I thought that was the end all be all at the time. So I've kind of always just chased things that I've really loved. And most recently that's been the NBA and the Hornets because, you know, before the Panthers were around, it was the Hornets, you know, we couldn't have the Panthers in Charlotte and in the Carolinas without what the Hornets did in 88. And so it's been fun to kind of reconnect to that. And I, there's just something about the NBA. You can talk about 82 games a night. The schedule's too long. If you think that all that that's fine. But when you see that game up close and personal and you're around the game, it's the greatest athletes in the world. And I will not have any other argument about that. These guys are the best in the world at what they do. And people can talk about stereotypes and cliches about they don't play defense. Go sit courtside for four quarters and tell me those guys don't play defense. I dare you. So being around that has really, I don't know, it's just kind of lit a fire underneath me. And I love how accessible the league is. Coaches, players, there's nothing else like that, I think, from a pro sports standpoint. Yeah, the uh, I, Chris, I'm right there with you. Uh, the People who think the NBA is not playing defense, I mean, these guys are all busting their you-know-what uh, on defense every night. It's, it's pretty unbelievable. But, you know, it's interesting, too, and I, I would like to just say – uh, shout out, quick shout out to, uh, to Mike Hogwood. You know, we're talking about Steve Martin here, one of the other yeah. voices of the ACC and Mike Hogwood, who, if you grew up in North Carolina, if you followed the ACC, you had 
the TVs wheeled into your your rooms when you were a kid in school so you can watch the ACC tournament. Man, you know the voice of Mike Hogwood. And, uh, yeah, so it's crazy to see Steve Martin retiring. Mike has passed away. I mean, and Bob Rathburn, who's with the Hawks now, like these are the sort of the voices of the ACC that a lot of kids in North Carolina in the area grew up with. So I wanted to give him a shout-out um, first, too. But, yeah, so, Chris, the, the shift from Steve, a guy that you know, he's with the franchise for 30 years, you're probably closer to 30 in terms of age. That's sort of interesting to me. Yeah. And the the play-by-play voice of a team, it's it's changing. It, it's not just calling 80. I mean, it, yes, the backbone is you're calling 82 games a season. We can all understand that. But even where the season started, we've seen you be incredibly busy, all types of new media, Twitter, I, which, you know, podcast, which is I've really enjoyed uh, two of the most recent episodes of that that I listened to, including the one with Nick Batum. But those, those clips from the podcast going up on Instagram, you know, was this something we talked about the interview process. Was this something that you tried to like sell the Hornets on? Like, Hey, look, I can do all of this stuff. And as the industry is evolving, do you sort of see yourself pushing that a little bit, like helping advance the profession a little bit more just because media is a little more flat these days. You've got to be able to do more. And in terms of radio, they, they need you to help grow the brand in a variety of ways that isn't just calling 82 basketball games. No, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, like I, first of all, um, it, it was sad to, to hear about the passing of Mike last week. And I, I actually went to school with his son, um, huh. Rob, wow. Robert at apps. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking about him and you're right. I mean, between, you know, Mike and, and Steve, those were discernible voices in my childhood mm-hmm. of, of ACC football and basketball. Um, and, and man, you couldn't open an ACC tournament until you heard Mike Hogwood's voice yeah, um, no on a Tuesday or Wednesday around noon. So, yeah. um, you know, he, he's, he, he made an impact in, in this, in this community, in this, uh, in this region. And so, yeah, I, you know, that's, I think it, it kind of was a two way street to be honest with you, Brian, like, I, you know, I think the team was well aware of my skills, which mm-hmm. were, I can wear a lot of hats, you know, I can host a show, I can, I can interview, I can be on camera, I can be off camera, I can do play by play, I can, you know, I can do a podcast, I can be active on social media, um, I can write a blog if that's what it requires. And so, mm-hmm. You know, being around them, I think that was just the biggest part, the familiarity over the last four years of being on the broadcast and talking to people day in and day out. You know, and I shared ideas over the years of, man, I think this would be awesome if we could do this. Right. Or I think this would be really cool if we could go down this path. So they had a rough idea and understanding of of what I think I would look like if I were ever a, a mm-hmm. full time employee of the team. And then, yeah, as we went through the interview process. You know, I was very adamant about that because I think you guys have carved out a space and there are other other folks in the Hornets, you know, media world that have done it, too. But there's a void. And you guys, this is, you, this is why I love what you guys do. There's a void of, of true, deep analysis. Right. And that just comes with being in a smaller market. Um, mm-hmm. I think the athletic is going to be huge. I'm so excited for the athletic to launch this Carolina vertical because I think it's going to take off. And that's no knock on the observer but you know, it's like turning the Titanic, right? I just think it's hard to do that overnight. And so, you know, I say all that to say, I tried to sell the team on that vision of, you know, let's be our own, like we can have other people talk about us and that's fine, but we also have access to information and players and coaches mm-hmm. and data that nobody else has. So let's tell those stories. Right. And mm-hmm. I think we've kind of figured it out on the fly with the podcast, like, what should this podcast be? We went back and forth. Okay. Should it be multiple people? Just me. And I thought, you know what? It needs to be me with one other person every week. And eventually we're going to have recurring guests. It's just going to work that way. But the storytelling aspect of hearing Nick Batum open up or hear Buzz Peterson talk about his journey through basketball or Mitch Kupchak do the same thing or James Borrego, you know, you just can't get that anywhere else. You can't get that in a 15 minute radio interview. You can't get that in a press conference. Mm-hmm. And there's something disarming, I think, about just sitting down as you guys and, and myself are doing right now and just talking. Right. I think people just want to hear people talk. You don't want to be screamed at. You don't want hot takes on the radio. <laughs> you don't want all the vitriol on social media. You just want to talk. And the yeah. podcast, I think, has been a good outlet for that. Man, well said. I'm really glad we had that segment then. Those were awesome answers, Chris. Good insight. And, yeah, you're pulling in my heartstrings a little bit, man. I appreciate the kind words about Buzzbeat. I know that Richie and Brian feel the same way. You know, sometimes we talk about what we want to be, and we do want to sound like three guys that are sitting around talking 
yeah. when it's basketball, you know, in, in, in a deep analysis way. So you kind of hit exactly what we're going for, and I'm glad that people see us like that. What's good, y'all? This is your boy Justin, a.k.a. Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. All right, well, let's dive in and talk some Hornets hoops. Um, I wanted to start by maybe just kind of reflecting on the summer. Obviously, um, a huge summer for the Hornets. Not only because the elephant in the room, obviously, Kimba Walker entering his last year. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Okay, so we're, we're hanging on to him. Mitch Kupchak starts, you know, his first season as a Hornets GM. And I would imagine when he was hired, the mandate from Michael, or some guessing here, but is, hey, look, here's your job. We got to duck the tax, number one, but we also have to stay competitive. And I want this team in the postseason. Um, so let's start with really the first move that we saw the Dwight Howard trade, I would say it, it, it's been slammed nationally. I don't think it was as bad of a move uh, as I think most, you know, it allowed the Hornets to get under the tax for this season. And then a, really a train of ch- transactions that we can talk about since that initial one allowed them to bring in some players that I actually think can help them right now. But Chris, just give us, I want to hear your thoughts on this Dwight Howard trade, what the Hornets were able to accomplish and why maybe I'm assuming you have this feeling. Well, maybe this is a little better of a trade than if you listen to a national talking head for the Hornets. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember. I'll be honest with you. I can't remember who told me this. Um, but we talked about, actually, it was with Tom Haberstrow. I'm a big fan of Haberstrow. And Haberstrow talked about he's the, great. the no, he's great. Yeah, and the notion that buying into a role is a skill, right? And I don't think we talk about that enough. Like we talk about shooting as a skill or ball handling as a skill or, you know, uh, defending in space one-on-one is a skill, uh, but you know, setting a screen and rolling hard to the basket is a skill too. And there are things that are, that are maybe minutia to the average fan or the media pundit. And you don't put as much emphasis on that, but it, it all goes back to style of play. And so when James Borrego comes in and says, guys, we got to play faster. We got to get up and down the floor. We got to make quick decisions. We got to share the ball. I, this is nothing personal on Dwight. All those things don't fit his game. And Mm -hmm. so it's just as simple as let's move in a direction where we're going to have guys on the floor that play that way. And when you're paying a man that much money, he's going to be a future hall of famer. Whatever you think about Dwight Howard, he's a future basketball hall of famer. You can't have him sitting on the end of the bench and nor would you want that. I wouldn't want that for Dwight either. And I don't think Mitch wanted that for Dwight. And so they moved on from him. And in doing so, like you said, I think they created some play flexibility in the short to long term they stack some assets and it's going to open some things up i think to to have some more versatile mat- matchups and lineups out on the floor and more than anything i think the thing that wasn't talked about with that dwight trade was the notion that he would have accepted a buyout here everybody right. just assumes mm-hmm. if brooklyn bought him out he would have right. accepted a buyout here and based off everything i know i, I don't think that was going to happen huh. and it certainly wasn't going to happen at the price that he accepted a buyout in in brooklyn so mm-hmm. And there's reasons for that, right? Pride, that's fine. I don't blame Dwight on that. It's not Dwight's prerogative to fix somebody else's problem, right? So, mm-hmm. nor should it be. And this is yeah. the thing you have to deal with as a GM and as a as a front office. Guys, we've got to mediate this situation. The trade with Brooklyn was the best way to do it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because that's something we discussed when the trade happened. And, of course, you read, well, why didn't Charlotte just buy him out? And it's like, well, why don't you guys talk about the fact that he already had a terrible relationship with Mitch Kupchak and that, like, why would those two come to the table together? And to your point, what he was going to have to leave on the table, what he did, in, you know, what he did in Brooklyn, obviously he made it up with Washington, all that stuff. But, no, but just, think of it this way. No, no, no. Think about, about this way, because I think you're right on this, Spencer. It, and I don't blame him again. Like, this is pride. This is the whole business of the NBA and pro sports is all about pride and, and putting your best effort out there and, and wanting people to think highly of you. If you're Dwight Howard and you were just traded for and a year ago, you're talking about doing things here and reclaiming your mm-hmm. career and yep. taking the Hornets to the playoffs and deep in the playoffs. And then a year later, they want to move on and they want you to buy to buy out your contract to make that happen. You're saying, right. no, 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 because then I look like the bad guy. I look like the guy who didn't live up to expectations. I look like the guy who couldn't back up what I said I was going to do on the court last year. So I don't blame them on that. And, that, and people just yeah. assume you say buyout. Two parties have to agree to that. Uh-huh. It's mutually yeah. agreed upon. It's not a one way street. 
Right. Yep, exactly. Well said. That's interesting. Um, well, this trade brought some things to Charlotte. Um, I want to start with it brought a second round pick that ended up being Devontae Graham, um, who I, I mean, I don't really think you can talk to a Hornets fan right now. That's not pretty bullish on what that kid can be. Um, let's kind of go round table here. I'm going to I'm going to throw it to you first here, Brian, because you've had some pretty strong feelings on Devontae and summer league and what we saw and he avoided this injury scare. I think that's it's a huge asset to get from dumping Dwight um, Devontae expectations next year is, is there a way for him to get on the floor i think there is especially if you, who knows how many games tony will, tony parker will be able to play or, or just you know hey injuries happen and hey you need third point guards too so i think there's absolutely a spot for a place for him to earn time he played great basketball out in las vegas uh and before before the injury and i think anyone would agree that Devonte looked strong on both ends of the court he was a pest defensively and it looked like he knew how to run an offense. Struggled with the shot a little bit, but we know he can shoot. We have four years worth of data from Kansas that this guy is a good shooter. So, now I'm I am high on Devontae Graham. And look, they this is a guy they clearly value. You know, they use part of the mid level to sign him and get that uh, get the third year in, on him and get get bird rights. Like he is a part of the future in Charlotte. And um, no, I'm thrilled to see how he looks this season in, in a Hornets uniform. And I hope he finds some minutes on the court because um, I think this guy can help Charlotte in 2018. I think he can help him in 2020 as well. Yeah, because of that Dwight Howard trade, we were able to open up some or get below the tax line a little bit more and, and use a lot of that MLE. And we did use it on Devontae Graham. Right. Uh, but yeah, I was... I was very promised with his play in Summer League. Uh, he averaged 10 points and 6 assists, which was basically top 10 uh, in assist for the Summer League, uh, albeit just in three games. But uh, like you said, Brian, a little inconsistent with this shot, but him running the offense, even in Summer League, he looked like a, a seasoned veteran out there just um, you know, running the pick and roll with uh, Billy Hernan Gomez. He just was so in control of everything. Um, and I was surprised by his defense. I think we kind of talked about that. Very scrappy. At the end of the first game against OKC, he came up with that big steal uh, and got fouled real late. So uh, mm-hmm. that kind of sealed that game for, for us there. So, yeah, I'm definitely promised by his play. Not sure how much minutes he will get uh, with Tony Parker coming in. Uh, but, again, like you said, Brian, there could be injuries that arise. Yeah, and Chris, so Richie just brought up a really good point. The Hornets signed him with a portion of their MLE, which was yep. the only way to get his full bird rights as a player to get that third year. So they had to use the MLE. You couldn't, use, you couldn't sign him to a minimum and get three years. So now mm-hmm. they have his bird rights. That was really the sign that, hey, yeah, we're investing in this kid. We think he can be something special. In-house, are they as excited as the fan base about, about Devontae? Yeah, I think so, because I think uh, you're, you're talking about like a long term view of what he will be. And I, I agree. I think there, there, there is a possibility he could get on the floor in situations this year, whether it's because of injury or whether it's because he's earned that opportunity late in the year, which I think is probably where it would come, probably in the second half of the season. You know, Mitch, I, th- I thought this very interesting. Mitch, um, you know, right after the draft, I think it was the very next day, was telling me, you know, he sees he sees Devonte as a guy who could be ready after the all-star break. And he mm-hmm. said he was looking for at that time, this is before the Tony Parker signing a backup point guard who really is just more of a versatile guard who could ball handle, be off the ball, uh, be more of a veteran who could shoot. And also, you know, probably log 15 to 20 minutes a game and kind of be the stopgap between the start of the season and the all-star break. And I think, if you go back in hindsight now and you think about some of those things, that's Tony Parker, right? Like that fit, he checks off a lot of those boxes. So I'm not going to say he's going to concede that backup point guard spot to Devonte come after the all-star break, but I think you might see maybe some of those minutes creep up for Devonte possibly if he's earned. So yeah, I think it's, it's a major sign that we as a team think highly of him. And I'll just say this being around him and miles and even our, our two way contract. Uh-huh. And we've got one more to give out now. Uh, yeah. But J.P. McCure is a really interesting prospect. Yeah. He really was gritty and competed in summer league. And I just think you see kind of a a common thread, right? Like they invested in guys that I think have a little chip on their shoulder, have that grit and intensity when they're on the floor. And I, I mean, you can't have enough of those guys. 
Yeah, Devontae and, and JP, just watching them play in summer league, like you said, grit, obviously, is a great word to describe both of them, but bas- IQ. Like, I remember yep. there was one sequence during summer league. Devontae whipped a cross-court pass to JP. I think JP drove baseline, got cut off, whipped it back across the floor to somebody. I don't remember who, for a wide-open three. And you're just like, that's that's pretty high-level court awareness on mm-hmm. this, but you don't see that much in summer league. Um but yeah, those two guys, man. I mean, I I love the style of player that both of them are. Uh, Brian, of, can you say something? Yeah. Just sort of nice to know they're both 23 years old. Like yeah. Devontae will turn 24 during the season. And they both come from amazing basketball programs. Like this is uh, there's a trade-off, right, between going going young and, and getting a guy like that's Malik Monk's age and, and watching him grow and hopefully he becomes a star. But you maybe can hit on some ready-made NBA players or guys that you know can at least give you some minutes off the bench. Guys that played four years at great programs and now come into the NBA. And like you said, Spencer, they're doing stuff in summer league that you don't see a lot of maybe rookies do. And partly because yeah, these guys are they're older for rookies too. And I'll add too, like I wouldn't be shocked, especially JP's going to be playing a bulk of his time in Greensboro, but. You know, Devontae's not having a chance to play in Charlotte. He's going to be in Greensboro. I mean, I I would almost guarantee that. That's going to be a a transition. I I think we're going to have some news in the next week or so that fans are going to really like. And, you know, we talk about player development, and that's a big emphasis for this new regime. And playing in Greensboro is going to be a big part of that. The notion of like, well, we don't, I don't know, are they getting anything when we send them to the G League? That's changing. We're going to have our guys back and forth a lot more than I think fans are used to in the past. So that's good so to hear. So we're not going to send Malik Monk there to to take forty threes in one game. <laughs> no, I don't think. I think that's okay. off the table. Uh, okay, good, good, good. Just making sure. Yeah, that was a pretty hilarious uh, subplot last season. Yeah, uh, there was someone recently that was talking about. Oh, D- yeah, Dwayne Bacon averaged twenty five points a game in Greensboro. And I was like, yeah, he was there for like two games and used like forty percent of the possessions when he was there too. So like, let's a little context to these numbers yeah. would be would be good. Right. Um, all right. So kind of the last wave of, of transactions this summer, a lot happened for Charlotte. Um, they took on Timofey Mozgov in the Dwight Howard trade. Obviously he had an extra year on his contract where Dwight was, Dwight hasn't expiring this year, uh, or, or did before he got bought out. Um, and so then we flipped Mozgov for the return of Bismack Biombo. Now I, it's probably on a, from an on court perspective, this probably means very, very little, but Richie, you're you're excited about Biz being back in Charlotte. Don't lie. I'm a, I'm a little indifferent. I understand why people get excited about this guy because he did come in with Kimba. All the Bobcat fans are excited him coming back. But yeah, you know, I love his attitude, his positive attitude he brings. Uh, but I do think he's going to be a very situational player. Uh, we definitely need a backup center that can play defense because Hernan Gomez has shown some inconsistencies in that area. But I think I think Billy Hernan Gomez will step up big time for us in a backup center role. So it's it's going to be a competition for both of those players. Um, but I think Hernan Gomez just fits Borrego's system to a T. Yeah, I, I wrote about that a little earlier this summer. That backup center um, that's going to be a jockeying match in training camp. Chris, do you think it's pretty locked in and Hernan Gomez is the backup? I mean, Biz is going to come in here and fight for that spot. I would think. Well, I don't. Uh, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I don't think it's set that Cody Zeller's the starting center on this wow. team. Oh, interesting. And, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's likely that Billy steals that job, but it's mm. it's entirely possible. And I, I, by the way, I think absolutely that's the number one thing we could say about this team going into training camp in a few weeks. Outside of, I'd really say two positions and that's, and, and I think the positions are different, but two guys, I think uh-huh. Nick Batum and Kemba Walker are the only two guys you would say 100% definitively will be starters come day one. And other than that, it's not to say I would, if I had to guess Marvin is starting again, but yeah. I had to guess, I think there's a strong possibility of that, but all those jobs are up for grabs. And I can't tell you, I know you guys have probably seen pictures and videos. Billy's been working out like crazy over in Spain all summer, but mm-hmm. His body has transformed. He truly. is ripped. Yeah, yeah truly crazy. transformed. So, you know, the, I think the defense, uh, obviously, that's a, a bit of a, a question mark with Billy. But he is more polished offensively than Cody. Now, Cody is great at his screen and roll game with Kemba. They've got something truly special there that's truly elite in the NBA when they're playing together. But, yeah, the total package of Billy, I think, versus Cody could be interesting 
And, you know, I don't know how much Biz is going to play. I think he's going to compete, like you guys said, and that'll be interesting. But, yeah, I think more the bigger matchup might be, all right, Cody versus Billy trying to trying to get that starting spot. That's, it, that's very it'll, interesting. Yeah. It'll be especially fascinating if, if Hernan Gomez goes the way of the Gasols and has a three-pointer too, right? Like that changes the math pretty significantly as well. Obviously, we know him more as like a, a screen roll, rebound type, but he certainly – um, tried to flash the three-point game out in Vegas this summer. What I do like with the centers, though, on, on the Hornets roster this year is, Chris mentioned this a couple minutes ago, talking about Dwight, but just the sort of the value of knowing a role. In Charlotte, if they they want these centers, the guys to go out, play screen role, set hard screens, dive to the basket, and they have three guys that just know this is what I do. Now, I think, yeah, you'll see – Ernie Gomez and maybe Cody occasionally try to step away and hit a jumper and run DHOs and stuff like that as well. But these guys know the role and it's to get help create shots for the other guys. And um, yeah, I think, I think that's going to overall help the the cohesiveness of the team. And, and for Billy, from the three point shooting standpoint, I, it's got to happen in regular season games. We'll see what yeah. happens. But he told me he was getting up a thousand threes a day during the summer. <laughs> like, so it's no joke. Like, some guys talk about, oh, yeah, I'm working on my three-point shot. He's really worked on it. So I don't know yeah. if it's going to happen or not, but he's put in the work. Well, I mean, in, look, summer league, obviously, extremely small sample size. But in five games, he averaged three and a half threes per game. So, yeah. I mean, you know, he got it. He chucked them up there. I mean, and they, yeah. and they went in. I mean, he made 10 of them. So I'm, um, I'm, try, I'm trying to think if I did a thousand of anything this summer. <laughs> like, like the, he's getting a thousand jumpers a day. from That's pretty <laughs> Crazy. impressive uh, on his part. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris, do you do you say that um, saying I'm not sure about Cody being a starter? Do you say that because hey, here comes Willie, a guy that's still very young, just might be as good as Cody, or do you say that because of how different the offensive style will be under Borrego, uh, you know, versus what it was under Clef? I think it's a little bit of both of those things, and I would add uh, the thing with Cody, and we all know this. Uh, we talked about you know, how valuable Kemba Walker is to this team. The stats about Cody being on the floor and off the, off the floor over the last few years when he's missed time has been pretty jarring too. And I, I think that's the other thing, you know, you just always want Cody to be a little bit more durable. And so, you know, being available is a skill. If we're being <laughs> yeah, honest, uh -huh. it is. Uh -huh. And, and that's no knock on Cody. It just is what it is. Um, so yeah, I think if you felt like Billy gave you, things that were more similar to what you wanted from your offense. And he was a little bit more dependable. I mean, yeah. look, we forget Billy was a second team, all rookie selection two years ago. And just, you know, the Knicks trade for Cantor, it happened and he kind of just fell out of the rotation. So, you know, he could be a nice little, you know, that might be rich Cho's parting gift to this team. Honestly, we might yeah. look back and say, and that was actually a pretty good find for, for rich Cho for, you know, not much of a move that moved the meter at all a few years ago. And, and you also think, too, if Cody's the one coming off the bench, maybe you know he's been such a plus-minus monster for the Hornets the last couple of years, especially with Kemba, too, but just overall. And you think maybe he could just, by naturally playing hard, setting screens, getting open shots for Malik by you know sit down screens or ball screens or whatever, that maybe he helps prop up that second unit by just being one of those plus-minus forces. And then you've got the starters that are going to be good no matter what because – Kemba's out there, Nick Batum's out there, et cetera. Yeah. And I, I do wonder if with Cody, you know, you try to move him into, keep him in that role. He was a backup last year too. So, you know, could he move back into the starting lineup and be really productive? I think he could, but okay. He'd go from starter to backup to starter again. So I don't know if you felt like maybe you wanted to keep him in a role where he could buy into that role and just feel comfortable with the playing groupings he's with. I think you have that opportunity. I don't know if you can make a bad decision, honestly. I really don't. I, th I think it's pretty close between the two of them. And, and I will say this. I wonder if him pairing with Kimba is the better option because Kimba kind of draws that gravity. If you were to yep. you know, set pick and rolls with Tony Parker, you're not going to get that as well. So maybe the, yeah. the Billy-Tony Parker pairing, uh, you know, at least Billy has the, the willingness to shoot that three. Yeah, yep. and, and I'll, I'll throw this out there, too. I tweeted this out the other day regarding Kemba and Cody, but last three seasons with those guys on the court together, almost 3,300 minutes. Uh, they're plus 416 points, scoring well over 1.1 point points per possession. It's a mouthful to say there. Uh, but those are massive numbers. I mean, those are just huge numbers. And yeah. you don't have to go, go back to just the two seasons ago in 16-17. 
Those guys play 1,541 minutes together. The Hornets are plus 248 with a plus eight and a half, 8.5 net rating. Um, I mean, like the Horn- Charlotte is, they play like a 50 win team when those guys are on the court. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it just, again, Cody, hopefully he can stay healthy and, um, yeah, he and Kemba can do their thing as one of the top pick and roll batteries in the entire world. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, open to the idea of, uh, you know, a Kemba Hernan Gomez um, starting one five. I would be shocked. Uh, I'm very interested. You brought it up, Chris, but I would be shocked. It, it not not just because of the numbers, but because of how pick and roll heavy Charlotte's offense has been. I mean, really for the last five seasons, right? And and that's kind of what I brought up earlier. Like, it, is it, should we be embracing this idea of the Hornets offense really not relying on that play type as much? And, and does that make a guy like Hernan Gomez the more usable talent? But just what Cody's able to do in terms of making Kimba's life easier offensively and is, defensively. That's right. And mm-hmm. defensively. We learned that the hard way with Dwight last year. You know, it, it's. I don't know if you can outmeasure that with any other player. So I would be surprised. But, I mean, I'm glad you brought it up, Chris, because now I really have to start thinking about this in a different way, and it makes me even more excited to see how, how much different this Hornets offense is really going to look. And, I, you know, again, I don't think he's going to be the starter at this position. Um, I think it's going to be more situational. But Frank Kaminsky is going to play some five on this team. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, by the way, I love it. I, I've been saying that for a few years. Uh, right asked, there with you. Yeah, I, and I've asked Steve Clifford about that in the past, about just why not. And, you know, he always points to the defensive numbers uh-huh. when, you know, and I get it. Um, but, you know, this is also a league where you sometimes you got to outscore the other team. And so the thing with Frank is I think more than anything, it's just a confidence standpoint. You see him at the five when those bigs come out and step out on him. He's taken him off the dribble. Uh, his yeah. confidence shooting the three over the top of those guys is so much different. His numbers, I mean, they're night and day. He's very good for a four shooting-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of streaky, but he's very good for a four shooting-wise. He's elite as a five shooting-wise. I mean, it's and it's not a huge sample size, but we're talking a span of, what, I think 10 to 20 games over the last couple of years where he's done it. Mm-hmm. And I think James Borrego and his staff is very well aware of that. They want to exploit that at times. And I, I just completely push back on anybody. It's a stereotype that goes on when people say, oh, Frank Kaminsky isn't athletic. Are you kidding me? A seven-footer who can put the ball on the deck and drive, and he's got his spin move. His footwork is incredible. Yeah. I wish he would add some strength, and he knows that too. But he's got a versatile skill set. I'm not using him as a one-to-one comparison, but – He's got Dirk in his game. Like you, very, you can see he's modeled his game after Dirk, especially in the mid range and play at the nail. I think, yeah, and I think he really exploits that when he's playing the five. So I think we'll see some of that too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're approaching the Frank thing the right way. It's like, look, it doesn't matter if he plays point guard; you're going to struggle defensively. It's just it yeah. is what it is. But put him at the position where he's going to be most effective offensively, and I, I think we can all agree that is the center position. Um, you know, with Frank, it's just at some point here, we've got to see consistency, right? Uh Um, we've seen flashes. God, we saw flashes his rookie year in the playoffs. I mean, he ate Justice Winslow alive in game three and four, uh, in Charlotte. And and immediately you saw, I mean, what you're pointing out just a second ago, Chris, like, yeah, this guy's, he's athletic. I mean, he has one or two dribbles. He's got as good a footwork as any seven footer in the whole league has with the ball in his hands. Mm -hmm. Um, but shooting the ball wise. You just got to see some consistency. So if that means playing him at five, I'm all for it. But make no mistake, this is this is the year for, for Frank Kaminsky. It's now or never because mm-hmm. he struggles again. I, I don't really know what his NBA future holds. Let's because I think this segment's going to take a take a long time to get through. Let's talk about Malik Monk and let's start with kind of trying to project the starting five. And I'll present a question, and then Brian, I want your thoughts on it first. You know, Chris brought up the Willie Hernan Gomez. Hey, could he be a starter? Well, hey, can Malik Monk potentially start a shooting guard? I mean, are, are we ready to hand him that responsibility? Brian, react. Yeah, I don't think the Hornets are quite ready to go there with, with Malik Monk, but who knows? Uh, maybe he's ready to make a big jump. Chris, I heard you in, in the podcast with, with Nick Batum, which everyone, side note, if you haven't listened to that, go listen to it. It's really good. Um that Malik took just one week off this summer, right? Like he's been in the he's been in the gym every week since then. So hey, maybe he's ready to to make a big jump. I think there's a case to be made for him as a potential starter. 
But and you know Nick moving to the three and you had to figure out what you're going to do with with MKG after that. But you put him next to Kemba, you run him off down screens, or you use him to play make, and you let Kemba start running off screens looking for catch and shoots. And Kemba's such an amazing shooter. And I mean, there's something to be said. Like last season when Malik Monk played 20 plus minutes in the game, 77 percent true shooting in those games, Ooh. and average and over 23 points per 36 minutes. In games where he played between 10 to 20 minutes, true shooting of 42% and 13.5 points per 36 minutes. So, again, and look, some of that came late in the season against some, you know, some, some interesting competition down the stretch. Let's just say it as that. But Malik played great down the stretch and he had some good games really early in the season, including against Giannis and the Bucks when he went bonkers at, uh, at Spectrum Center and just couldn't miss from the, uh, the right wing there. But uh, so I think there's a case to be made, but. I no, nah, I don't. I, at least not at the start of the year. I, I don't think I, I see Malik Monk starting. Although, if you know, if he was finding his way into the starting lineup, I would be pretty encouraged by that as well. I think out of the three of us on Buzzbe, I think I've said I've probably see him starting probably earlier than you two guys do. And I think the fact that Batum is switching to the three that kind of got me thinking about okay, well, who's the two? And um, you know, Monk. Had an up-and-down season last year. His shot selection was uh, pretty poor at times, taking shots early in the shot clock and really taking shots without passing the ball or ball movement. And that's a big thing in Borrego's system is, yeah, sure, we want to get shots up early in the shot clock, but the ball's got to be moving. So I think he does need to improve his shot selection. Uh, defensively, it's going to be it's going to be a struggle with him and Kemba paired together, but I think it, it, it could work. Uh, I guess no more than Parker and Monk, I guess. So uh, when you pair those two together, the defensive deficiencies are going to be there. But man, he he can light up. He can light up the uh, the stat sheet, shoot the ball pretty well. He does just have to find that consistency. And maybe it has to go back to those numbers, like you're saying, Brian. When he plays consistent minutes, he gets in that rhythm. Mm-hmm. Chris, so the Hornets have like really been pushing out. Hey man, look at this guy Malik Monk and how much he's been working out this summer yep. and how hard he's working. They've, I mean it. They have they have done a good job of shoving it down my throat, Not, and I mean that in a good way. But tell me, from you've probably seen him work out in person. Tell me, reassure me it's true, and that we really should be optimistic about his sophomore year. No, he's he has literally only taken one week off. I see him every day in the building. I saw him, gosh, Friday morning. He was dragging a, a weighted sled through the hallway right outside the <laughs> locker room. We're in, a, we're in a sweet pair of Kobe ADs, by the way. He's got the new Kobe's and he told right. me he's got, he said he's All got right. more colorways coming. So, um, <laughs> no, I, he's been working hard. I, I would say, and this is a, a, it's a minor tweak, I think, but it, it might have major implications. His confidence level right now is just night and day. And I don't think you would truly understand unless you're around it more last year, how many different ways he was getting pulled. And I said this on the podcast with Nick and you just don't understand at times until you're in it, what it's like to be a pro. You know, I think every rookie comes into the NBA and either thinks it's going to be harder or hard, but maybe not as hard as it is, or it's going to be easy. And it's never easy. I don't care who you are. And I think for Malik, I don't know what his expectations were last year, but when you have fans saying that, Oh, you're the pick that we've been dying to make for years and you, and the team finally made it. And then you're not playing consistently. Uh-huh. You know, you've got people mad at the coaching staff. Uh, you've got people uh, within the organization who are saying, hey, he needs, he needs to sit more to learn. You've got other people saying, no, he needs to play more to learn. Um, and when he's playing really well, people want to see more of him. And when he's, when he's not playing well, you know, people are killing him. Say, you know, all the things. It's just the dynamics of being a rookie in the NBA. And the one thing I would say is my just being around it a little bit. What Steve Clifford did with Kemba Walker, where he walked in the building and realized, hey, you're my meal ticket. You're the guy that if we're going to go anywhere, it's through you. And you've got talent. The potential is there. I'm going to pour so much work and energy and love and support into you. And we're going to do this together. I can't tell you how often I see James Borrego wrapping his arm around Malik Monk. I can't see how how often I see him patting him on the back and talking to him. And it's not just with Malik. He's got that way about him. I think with a lot of guys, he's just very intentional. He's a supporter and encourager. He's probably Um, relatable too. He very, very much is. He's it's just different than cliff. And that is what it is. But that right there, I think James Borrego has come in and realized, Hey, if this thing is going to go to another level the way we want it to, 
Kemba's got to continue to be great. Other guys got to continue to be great, but Malik Monk is going to be the guy that can get us to that point. And so it's been kind of cool to watch him, you know, kind of be attached at the hip and build confidence back into Malik the way he needs it to be. Who would have thought Monk's confidence wavered last year? Because that guy always yeah, is like never, right? up high. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but that's the that's the thing too, is I think he always wanted to keep it at that level. Like you guys have heard him talk. His yeah. like he is just oozing confidence, mm-hmm. but he's human too. And when you got yeah, all these yeah. people pulling you in different directions, it's tough. I think you wrestle with that. I thought for a portion of last year too, especially earlier in the season, you know, his body language wasn't always, I thought the best. And I wondered, I wondered and was worried at first, you know, does he, does he kind of resent being in Charlotte a little bit? I think he was pissed off that, that New York didn't take him. And, and did it, did it take him a while to kind of accept, all right, this is where I am. Yes, it's Charlotte. It's not New York City, but this is my opportunity. I got to make the most of it. And on top of all that, obviously, yeah, the injury in preseason, mm-hmm. you know, playing with Steve Clifford, not, you know, not known for giving rookies a, a huge opportunity. You know, but do you think maybe the resentment of not being drafted by New York, dropping to Charlotte, played a factor, Chris, in him coming along? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say about that. I, I will say I think maybe, that, like you said, that breakout game against Milwaukee. And mm-hmm. then you basically go, what, like two months without ever seeing meaningful minutes again? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's just hard to process, you know, mm-hmm. if for anybody, let alone a rookie. I think it's really hard to process. And when you'd be in the arena some nights where things weren't going well and fans would chant, we want Malik or we mm-hmm. want Monk. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're hearing that. Of course you're hearing that. And other guys are whispering on the end of the bench, you know, trying to either say, oh, block it out or don't think about that. I mean, he's human. And I just think, man, the confidence level this guy has right now is through the roof and his shooting ability is flawless. And, you know, I think more than anything, again, this is not a one-to-one comparison because I don't think he's not the type of player as this guy, but from an offensive standpoint, I think when you talk about the way the Warriors use Clint Thompson, running off screens continuously, just finding screening after screening after screening, he's just running and getting open. I think, to me, if you could use Malik in that way, and I think Malik can handle the ball some. He's not a point mm-hmm. guard. I think that experiment probably didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's another thing to add into the mix from last year. But, yeah, if you were just to run him all the time off of screens and say, you know what, man, just shoot. You can be an elite shooter in yep. this league. Just shoot. I think you could see some dynamic scoring from him. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. Go ahead, bro. I'll- I love the comparison of we we made it leading into the draft last year and you and you and, and Nick brought it up, Chris, on, on your podcast this past week. But I love the McCollum comparison. Yeah. Smaller that could handle a little bit. But ultimately, you're looking to get this guy curling off down screens or running off flares and looking for catch and shoots. And, hey, you think with guys that can screen uh, like Cody and, and a guy like Kemba that has gravity and a connector like Nick, like there's some ways you can see it working out pretty nicely and, I mean, the way Malik played down this, the end of the season, I mean, last 15 games, 44% on catch-and-shoot threes, 38% on pull-up threes, 41% from a, on above-the-break threes. And you think if he's playing off ball more, running off screens, like maybe you give him some more looks from the corners this year. The team in general, we, at least we, we think, we hope the Horns are going are gonna to hunt those corner threes a little bit more than they have in the past uh, under Steve Clifford. Even shot 64% in the restricted area to close out the season too. So there's a, again, I I get that there were the on off numbers are not great. RPMs, not great defense, maybe still going to be an issue, but to have a guy with that kind of upside, that bounce, that electricity that can shoot like he can. I mean, the thought of having a guy that can just Brad Beal, you or CJ McCollum, you or Clay Thompson, you off screens or JJ Reddick, whomever the comparison you want to make. Um, is exciting, and I'm fascinated to see how it goes in year two for Malik. Yeah, and you talk about the bounce. We saw it against Chicago at the United Center. Like, yeah. that dunk on the <laughs> well, baseline. Yeah, Like, I don't think people ha- do realize how athletic he is in that way, and so that's the other thing. I think it's got to start outside in, but if you start to consistently put games together where you're shooting that well and the closeouts come, that's where I think he's capable with that move to get to the basket and really start making teams pay or make an extra pass. So yeah, it's exciting to think about the possibilities. Yeah. He's, he's 100% a score, you know, the, the experiment of saying, Hey, okay, here's the ball run the offense. Uh, last year, it was, it, it was a total failure. It's just not who he is as a player. Okay. We understand that. We know that let's move on. Uh, and yes, the McCollum comparison, I think it's a good one, but you guys just said it. 
he's more athletic than McCollum. Like, the, yeah. I'm sorry, but at yeah, the end of the is. day, the ceiling's yeah, higher. He just is. Um, yeah. And if you can run that guy off floppy action, you know, until the defense eyes bleed, like, I think that gives Monk the opportunity to be as effective as he possibly can. And look, at Kentucky, go back and look at his film. They, they use Malik Monk the same way they used Kevin Knox last year. The same way. They just ran him off baseline screens constantly. And then in transition, mm-hmm. he was a menace. So can we try to recreate that model in some way? And I think we start to unlock some stuff from Monk. Um, but I'm, I'm excited, and I made this point with Nate Duncan on his podcast to preview the Hornets a few weeks ago. I think him playing with Tony Parker, just assuming he doesn't start, if he can play 55 to 60 games with Tony Parker, I think his life is going to be a whole lot easier. Uh-huh. And I think he's going to get a lot of open looks. And I think Tony gets in the middle of, of defenses, makes them collapse, always makes the right pass. So Malik's going to be attacking against a scrambling defense more often. You know, I, I'm mm-hmm. excited about that duo. Um, but big year for Monk. All right, let's transition uh, into a segment. You know, I think, I think there's a lot of uh, players that, number one, we're not quite sure what to expect from this season. Um, but there's some ability, some potential for a breakout. So I just kind of want to go roundtable real quick. Brian, let's start with you. Everybody just kind of give us your breakout player for the Hornets this season and why. I, I, I pretty much laid out why I think Malik Monk has the chance to be a breakout guy. But let me just, let, for the sake of not picking the same guy, I'll just say Jeremy Lamb. I mean, a guy heading into the prime of his career, he had a great season last year. I think the offense hopefully gets a little more flowy, uses the corners a little bit more. I think that should be to, to Jeremy's liking. And I just think he's he's going into a contract year two. It Maybe t- it's going to be really tough for the Hornets to hang on to him, uh, if not impossible, factoring in Kemba's free agency uh-huh. too. But I just think he's got – this is a big year for him, prime of his career, time to make some money next summer as a free agent. He's got a defined role, bench score. He's established in this league now. And, yeah, I just think it's he's set up to have – a very similar season to last year. So maybe not breakout, but maybe just across the board, a little more efficient, you know what I mean? From, uh, for Jeremy lamb. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like he had a breakout year last season and yeah. uh, I guess the player that I'm going to pick, uh, might be going out on a limb, maybe a little bit of a bold statement here, but, uh, even with his lack of defense, I think, uh, Billy Hernan Gomez is going to be my breakout player for the Hornets especially you know when JB wants to install this five out system I think that he can fit that mold a little bit better than Cody I know that Cody has more of a presence on the defensive end but he's just shown that ability to shoot the three make the three draw the people out to the three-point line kick the ball make that extra pass and he can also work the pick and roll game as well he did it a lot with uh, Devante uh, in summer league so and I think that one thing that gets overlooked uh, with Hernan Gomez, he does have a little bit of wiggle uh, down in the post. Not that we want to be feeding him time after time. Uh, I do think some of his post moves are overlooked and underrated. So I, I would say uh, Billy as my breakout player for this season. Yeah, I'm going to agree with with Brian here. I, I think it's Jeremy Lamb. Um, you know, you made the point he's entering the prime of his career. He's in a contract season. I actually think he's going to be the starting shooting guard, which we haven't really talked mm-hmm. about. Um, yeah, I think he's, I think he's the best shooting guard on this team. True shooting guard. You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of assuming that Nick Batum's going to go to the three position. So I I have really high expectations for lamb this season. I thought he was awesome last season. He's how he's become a, a shooter, a better shooter, how he's approached that part of the game has been so impressive. You know, how he's learned to not over dribble the basketball, really commit to catching and shooting, not catching and looking and pounding. You know, he's, the evolution of the of his game and the way he thinks it and sees it has changed so much in, in his pick and roll um, ability. I mean, is really, it, last season I thought it was when it turned the corner helped the second unit so much. He's the only reason the second unit scored points. He, he's he's he is a very underrated pick and roll creator and scorer in the NBA. I think he shot a career high at the rim. So coming off that pick and roll, I know that his bread and butter's in the mid range, but getting all the way to the rim, he showed an ability last year to do that as well. Yeah, and I would I would say too, like like uh, Brian was saying, if you could find some better quality looks for him, he, he took difficult shots and he made them a lot yeah. last year. So like, just getting him some more clean looks, I think, could even take Jeremy's game to another level. And I, I, this just hasn't been talked about enough. He was the leading scorer off the bench in the Eastern Conference a year ago, yeah. which is yeah, which yeah. is pretty crazy for a guy that was spending 
a bulk of his time in the G League three years ago. So he's he's had quite the jump. He's had he's had an impressive run here. And what I'm most impressed about last season for him is how bad that second unit was. But amidst that, he was still be he was still able to be as effective as he was able to be, which is actually pretty amazing uh, because the cards were were stacked against him when he was with that second unit. But he he still really was an efficient offensive player, which is pretty amazing uh, from last season. Chris, your breakout kind of sleeper breakout player on this roster for this season. I'm going to cheat here, okay? Because uh, his floor is already really high. Kemba Walker is going to have the greatest <laughs> season of his NBA career. I'm just telling you right now, it's going to wow. happen. I'm ready and for it. The that, way this, yeah, that's yeah easy and, no, I think it's a bold statement, but you know, I think all the talk of, you know, where does Kemba Walker rank among NBA point guards? He was great with JJ Redick talking about like the this the hair splitting that we do when we rank point guards. You know, if you want to talk about Steph, Westbrook, Chris Paul. And then after that, I think you got a group of about, you know, four through maybe 10 or 12 that are all pretty much different mm-hmm. variations of, of really, really good. And I think Kemba Walker, this has not been talked about enough. Kemba Walker is every bit as good as Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Every bit as good. And um, I, I don't know if people nationally, you know, there are things in Kyrie's game that's better than Kemba's game, but I'd say the, the same is true for Kemba versus Kyrie. Uh-huh. And so... You know, I think, again, they're slightly different versions of one another, but I think Kemba's going to end any questions about nationally about like, how good is this guy? Is he just putting up good numbers on a team that's not as good as they should be? Um, I think all that goes to rest. And I, I, when I hear James Borrego say, we want to put more on Kemba Walker's plate, that's a good thing. And I, I think this guy, more than anything, he is as mentally tough as anybody I have ever seen. And to go from winning seven, seven games in a season as a rookie to where he is now and what he's done to transform his game and to know that all the talk about contract status and all that, it does not face him. It doesn't face him one bit. And in fact, I say it's going to motivate him even more. So I think Kemba Walker is going to have, and it might look again, this is not going to be a huge jump. I'm not going to say he's going to average 35 and five, but I think (laughs) Even him adding an extra two points per game scoring wise is a massive leap. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility on this team. And if he had a breakout season this season in the year that we have the all-star game, that would just put Ooh. more national exposure on him. Yeah. You, you would no think Kim, Kim Walker in the three point contest, like that would be fun too. I mean, the Hill that all, all I will always die on is that he and Damian Lillard are like as good as one another. And Damian Lillard was first yeah. team all NBA last year. And I know that there are some, Weird stuff in there. Chris Paul should have been first team or second team All NBA, and he didn't make any of the All NBA teams. That's a whole other separate conversation. But yeah, in my in my book, Kemba is is as impactful and as good as as a Damian Lillard, who was an MVP candidate last season. So yeah, no, it will be it will be fascinating to see Kemba as the as like the spearhead of of this new look on offense. And I, I again, he's so much fun to watch play. And it really was a joy in you think of some of the highlights last season and um, yeah, here's hoping he can stay healthy and put together another 82 game masterpiece here. It's attainable. I mean, I, th- I think, uh, I don't think it's crazy, Chris. I mean, the one area offensively that really you saw go South last year was his shooting numbers at the rim. But to me, there's a pretty easy explanation for that. You know, I, I mean, I think Dwight Howard and his, his lack of, willingness to play certain roles offensively, which you talked about earlier, really affected that. Now plug Hernan Gomez, who, you know, could stretch it to the three point line. And we already know what Zeller does for Kimba. You know, I think you're starting to see, you know, th- those numbers at the rim really get a lot better. Um, so, yeah, I think it's super exciting to think that this could be the best season of Kimba Walker's career. Um, My dog been, agrees, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's chiming in in the back. Of the yeah. Yeah. For a second, I thought that was actually my Kimba, my dog barking yeah. in the background. <laughs> Your dog, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thought he was happy that we were talking about him, but um, <laughs> but no, it's 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 exciting stuff. Well, Chris, I want to say thank you so much for. I know you're busy uh, taking time to join us. This was really a treat. The best guest we'll have all season, no doubt about that. Um, and you know, on behalf of Buzzbeat, great luck. We're really excited to hear you this season. All the fans should be. I haven't listened to many Hornets games on the radio uh, in, in the past few seasons, but you can uh, make sure that, or you can count on me listening to a few on the radio this year so I can hear you, man. So really appreciate it and good luck this season. 
I appreciate that, guys. It's been good to talk to you. You know, I love coming on with you, and we'll do it. We'll find a time during the season. Yeah. We'll maybe, maybe when we got like two days between games, we'll figure out a day. And, uh, yeah. I'm going to do some shameless plugging. Okay, so download yeah. the Hornets app, and you, my podcast is up there. You can dot, find it in like Apple Podcasts, uh, anywhere else, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. But you can listen to the radio broadcast for free wherever you are at any time. So you, you could say, hey, we don't have an affiliate near me. Just listen on the Hornets app. So that's a good way to check in. And and I will say, too, Matt Carroll is going to be with me for some road games, too. So it's going to be, you know, me and Matt, which I'm really excited about, too. He's going to have a bigger role with us on the radio side. So that's really fun. Very, very, cool. very cool, yeah. man. Well, look, yeah, we'll reach out to you, like, maybe in between the back-to-back on the West Coast road trips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when they're doing the Utah Portland uh, Denver <laughs> swing, we'll uh, yeah. we'll knock on Chris's door. But um, yeah. man, Chris, uh, again, thanks again for coming on. We truly are spoiled with people that follow the Hornets, cover the Hornets. Two of the best play-by-play guys, you know, are entertaining. You and Eric Collins. I mean, that that's sort of a treat that we have here um, in Charlotte. So, thanks again for coming on, and I'll be looking forward to picking up some broadcasts and certainly keeping up with the podcast and liking videos on Instagram and all that good stuff too. I appreciate that. And just know, Brian, just keep pumping out the stats on Twitter. Cause I'm going <laughs> to suck you on the air. Okay. I'm Perfect. Be- all right. <laughs> there we go. I'm happy to feed you, man. I'm happy to okay. feed you. Awesome. All right. Well, good stuff guys. This was a lot of fun. This was episode 73 of Busby radio. Still hard to believe every time I say the new number, how far we've come. We got, like, um, WrestleMania, dude- we got WrestleMania numbers now at this point, yeah. right? <laughs> Isn't that the like UFC numbers or whatever with our, our number of uh, podcast episodes? It's it's fun, but look, I, I'm pumped because you know summer is always different with podcasts, right? Because you, you don't do it as often. Every time you get back in and record one, you feel like you know this is the first time you've ever done it again. So I'm ready to get back in and talk real basketball games, and and yeah. it's really just around the corner at this point. So so all right, awesome stuff. Don't forget. We are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Check out almightyballer.com for lots of other great content. And look, don't forget about our good friends over at Sports Channel 8. Just do yourself a favor right now. Go follow them at Sports Channel 8 on Twitter. College football season, they really do it the best within the state of North Carolina. And then queencityhoops.com, our home. Check them out. Noah Purser, once again, going to be the new managing editor. So uh, go give him a follow on Twitter. Uh, And give him a little congrats because I think he's going to do really good stuff for the site. Um, All right. Well, for myself, for Richie, for Brian, thank you again to Chris Kroger, play-by-play, radio voice of the Charlotte Hornets. That was episode 73, Busby Radio. Have a good one.